Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. I looked this week at what we publish online, and, and this might be the 22nd or 23rd week. So for those of you who ask me, you know, why don't you teach in and through the Bible? This is part of the reason why it takes me 22 weeks to get 14 chapters. And uh, so I, I do do that. Uh, over 40 years, I've taught every book of the Bible, and uh, I, I enjoy Proverbs probably about as much as, as any uh, for this because of its simplicity and, and, and power of, of message. So anyway, uh, if you can find Proverbs chapter 14, we're going to be at the tail end of that chapter because I, I didn't get to a couple of scriptures I really want to touch this week uh, for you, and then we'll do Proverbs chapter 15. So, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity of being in your house, in your presence, filled, Lord God, with your living word. We are so grateful, Lord, for all that you do. We find ourselves in need when we don't know what our need is. We find that we just need more of you. And so we bless you today because we know that that's who you are. You are the filler of man And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 14, notice the 29th verse. There's the two areas, a couple of scriptures here I want to touch on. Keep in mind that as we've taught this, we we changed kind of scope a few chapters ago where, where these Proverbs are all attributed to Solomon likely they were written down or, or recorded in such a way that they could be passed from within the, the, uh, the royal lineage. So these were really uh, some, some uh, training that, that he was offering his, his sons. And forgive me, all you women, they lived in a patriarchal society, and so they didn't necessarily educate their gals. And, and so you will see sometimes in the Bible uh, a less than flattering picture of, of, of women. And that was a cultural issue, not a spiritual issue. It's kind of why when you see back in the Old Testament when a king or someone had more than one wife. I mean, as, as a modern day man, you might be able to scratch your head going, wait, somebody wants more than one, you know, because that just, that just won't work. And, and so it really was just a cultural heart issue um, that, that uh, was there. And so sometimes people get kind of wound up. When the Bible says certain things and it's, it's derogatory to women, and, and that's, not the, that's not God's heart in, in my understanding. So in verse 29, it says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. I want to point this one out to you. Again, if you're thinking about this just kind of naturally, remember, this was written and likely distributed to his children or to his sons who were in training to lead. So this area is also a great passage for leadership. So notice what it says again. It says, he was slow to wrath. Now, wrath and anger, biblically, are different. It's kind of like how you see someone else's anger. You know they're angry. But when you're angry in the same way, you actually define it as frustration. Right? I mean, I'm so frustrated with it. No, you really are angry. But because we give ourselves a level of grace. Right? And we see our intention, and that's how we govern how we see that. But in this case, he says he's slow to wrath. Wrath has an emotional component that leads itself to outburst. 
You can be angry likely and reasonably control yourself. The Bible says in James, be angry yet sin not. So it is possible to, to be angry and not, and not sin. But it's very difficult when you get over into wrath because there's an emotional, uh, emotional context that actually leads itself to action. So, so wrath almost always looks like somebody doing something in anger. And so he said, if you're slow to wrath, meaning that you don't want your anger to have a position in your life that takes you to the place that you act out in that anger. Again, the Bible talks about that. There's scriptures uh, uh, throughout. Uh, one of them talks about, you know, not, not uh, 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 disciplining your, your children out of, out of wrath or out of that kind of anger. And so it just has this picture. Notice what it says again, verse 29. He was slow to wrath, has great understanding. Notice that it takes a little bit to process the difference between anger and wrath. And how that works in your life. You need a level of understanding. And, and you can't get that from me. Okay? You can't get that from me. Because I don't know how your world works. I don't know how your emotions work. I don't know what your triggers are. I mean, sometimes I try really hard not to give examples that might hit any of you. And I'll be going really hard and strong on, a, on an example. And I'll see one of your faces. And I realize that I got right into your homework right there. Right. And, and, and so I'm not trying to do that, but you're the only one knows how you you you've embraced your wiring. Right. And you'll say things like like, well, that really frustrates me. And you're trying to be nice about it. But the fact of the matter, it makes you really angry to the point of action or wrath. That's what he's trying to show us here in verse twenty nine. But he who is impulsive. See, he who acts before he thinks kind of thing. Do you see it? exalts or literally praises folly. Now, I don't know how you want to see this, but this doesn't sound like a good idea. To literally worship from a position of folly. To exalt this craziness. And here's how this sounds. Well, that's what God said to me. And we'll actually blame God for how immature... We are because we have a scripture to back it. Well, you shouldn't do that. It's really the reason why I'm so cautious in a lot of ways and saying, wait a minute, now just tap the brakes. Let's process this because most people don't need to experience your anger about their behavior. Right? Well, you shouldn't do that. I've been in jail and prison ministry all of my, most of my uh, uh, ministry life, and I will just tell you that they do not need to know that what they did was wrong. I had somebody who wanted to join our, our jail ministry once, and, and, and he came and visited, and then he, he had an appointment with me. He says, well, you just don't preach sin enough. I'm going, well, I don't think you got to because they're in jail. See, freedom from jail doesn't stop your sin. You can go to jail based on activity that society doesn't like or activity that the Bible speaks. I mean, the Bible speaks, don't steal. If you go to jail for that, getting out won't make you free from that sin. It'll only make you paid for that sin. But if you find freedom in Jesus Christ, you can come out and not do that. 
that makes sense? It takes some biblical understanding to separate these things because if not, you'll be impulsive. I can't believe how many of us as adults, as adults, think that something that somebody else has kind of hoodwinked us into or maybe we're the head hoodwinker and we said, oh, let's go do this. How many times that sounds good to us? And then we get done with it and go, that, wasn't, that didn't end well. That wasn't a great idea. Right? I mean, I don't know how many of you ever, you know, driven too fast or something and maybe on a dirt road and all of a sudden you're kind of sideways and backwards and upside down and that didn't end well. But boy, it was fun right up until that point. Right? Where you say, well, well, who thought that was a good idea? That really is that impulsiveness, do you see it in verse 29, that exalts folly. Well, amen, I won't touch it any harder. Verse 30, a sound heart is life to the body. A sound heart. Listen, the heart is only as sound as the invitation that you give Jesus to fix the parts you're hiding. The heart is only as sound as the invitation that you give Jesus to fix fix the parts you're hiding. And don't look up here like you're so full of spirit stuff that you don't have any parts of your heart that you're hiding. I mean, I'm telling you, you can come to church and have an attitude and still put a smile on your face. And you can have attitude towards individuals. You may not even like the people that are sitting in your row. It's not at all difficult to do. So what's he saying here? He's saying a sound heart. What's a sound heart? A sound heart is a heart that's invited Jesus to fix the parts they're trying to hide. And I just want to tell you something. It's not easy. Don't raise your hand, but do all of you recognize that probably you're aware of that part? And that maybe you know it's not according to God's will? But you've tried, including asking for God's help. The number of people that I've had, you know, kind of counseling with, and they'll say, well, I tried that, Pastor. I tried to ask Jesus to help. It didn't work. Right? Well, okay, if you, if you love the hidden part more than, now, now listen carefully, more than the pain it's going to take to, to expose it to Jesus' development. See, it's not, I want Jesus to fix this. This is going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark. Character, the development of character in your heart leaves a mark. It's literally a common word, and I I probably said this last week, but the common word where the mark that's left by coming in contact, and in my case, what I'm trying to teach you, coming in contact with Jesus, if your character is developing, it leaves a mark. Inside you. That's what he's talking about. A sound heart is life to the body. But envy, envy is rottenness to the bones. You remember the scripture where um, Ezekiel went into the, the spirit of God, took him into that valley of, of dry bones? Do you remember that, that passage, Ezekiel, I don't know where it is, 48, 38. I'm within 10 chapters of that by 48, 38. It's in there somewhere. And, and uh, uh, anyway, he, it, the, the Lord said, look at these valleys. He said, oh, it's full of dry bones. And God says, can these bones live? And it goes through this long process of, of, the, of, the, of the, the confusion that comes out of bone coming to its own bone. 
But then it says that the sinews and the muscles and the skin covers it. So notice that the bone can't function properly without that structure. Okay? But without the bone, the structure has a limited value. Right? So if, if we took out your um, thigh bone, you might find it extraordinarily difficult to use that leg. Even though the muscles could potentially still be in there, they wouldn't have anything to support them. So when he says rotten to the bone or rottenness to the bones, see the process of what God's trying to say to you. Envy, so much of the time we cut ourselves this slack where, where we don't realize that what we're actually saying is, I really want what somebody else has. I'm coveting. I have an envy towards that. And, and it's rottenness to the bones. What does it do? It undermines the foundational strength of you as a Christian. It's rottenness to the bone. It undermines the structure of who you are as a Christian. This is dangerous stuff. You say, I don't have any envy. Okay, congratulations. Um, You might be the only one who doesn't have at least. I mean, you can drive by somebody's house and go, wow. And, and let them not kind of be a Christian. Let them, let them be, in your mind, an immoral person, and they've got something that you want. Oh, dear God. I mean, it, you can see that. And you say, well, well yeah, but isn't that just normal? Yes, it's normal flesh. Are you tracking with me? But envy is rottenness to the bones. Chapter 15. I just wanted you to get those two verses. I, I didn't get time to do them last week, and they're... they're Two of my favorite in chapter 14. Here's chapter 15. Verse number one. A soft answer turns away wrath. How many of you in a conversation that's accelerating sense that your tone, your volume, and your intent accelerates based on someone else's behavior? Right? Some people don't argue, they're just proving how right they are. (laughs) Come on. There's no argument here because I'm right. What's he saying? A soft answer. How hard is it? Just process with me. How hard is it under pressure? Now, it turns away what? Wrath. it's It's that thing we talked about in chapter 14 where this is the emotional stirrup that leads to to action. So here's somebody. You ever seen anybody who's, who's mad enough at you, the longer they talk, the closer they get to your face? I mean, so much so that, that, that their, their anger is such, and pretty soon, you know, you, you kind of need a towel because they're right there. And it says soft. How hard is this? How hard is a soft answer in the middle of this position? I mean, it's extraordinarily difficult, but here's why you think it's difficult and why I think it's difficult. What we're actually saying is, in my own strength, when somebody comes at me with that level of anger, my own strength is, I only got two cheeks and I've already turned one of them. Right? Boom. If you turn both your cheeks, you surely ought to duck. Because, you know, that's all the Bible requires. See how that works? And so this is a soft answer. You have to be prepared to be disciplined 
for your brain and heart to work together to produce a soft answer. You could say, oh, well, it's just my personality. You know, I'm just passionate. I used to, in, in my, own, my own relationship, you know, I, I would get louder or, or stronger, and I'd just say, well, I'm just so passionate about this. The fact of the matter was, instead of saying frustrated that leads to anger, I was just passionate. I didn't have any anger. I was just passionate about that. And my voice would raise, and I would get louder. You know, if you're louder, it's kind of like being in a foreign country. If you talk in English in a foreign country, really loud people will understand it. That's what we do in relationships. We raise the tone and the, and the position of our voice, right? And, and that isn't what the Bible, it's a soft answer, right? It's an interesting thing. Notice what else it says, but a harsh word. What is a harsh word? Words with points on them. Okay, let me see if you get this. Have you ever been sitting in a church service or in a teaching service and had your beloved who's sitting next to you elbow home a point? You know, hey, you should get this. And you know that they're not trying to wake you up. They're really just trying to start that nail, right? They keep hitting you, elbowing you so that you'll get that, right? You need to get that. If you've ever sat here and wished that so-and-so was in the church service, right? They really need to hear that. That's the foundation of harsh words. Here's how it works. Come on, this is how it works in, in good heart. You will actually have the opportunity with these harsh words. You'll sit in a church service and say, boy, I sure wished, um, I don't want to say any names. I, I sure wished, you know, Beelzebub was here. I know that nobody has that for a name. Because, because he could have really been benefited from this. And then you go out and you're eating lunch and guess who walks in? That guy. And so you're thinking, wow, that's God. And so you gather up all your stuff and you go over there and you say something like this. Boy, you really miss God today. You should have been in church. It was for you. See, those are harsh words. They've got points to them. They're like a goat head sticker, right? Pokes you a little bit. Those are harsh words. And you don't get to judge harsh words by your intent. Well, I didn't mean for it to be that harsh. Well, you know, I guess I didn't mean for it. And, and I've been in more trouble over this. It's the reason that I focus on some of the scriptures that I do when I'm teaching these, this, these areas is because, man, these things are kind of hard. Right? Harsh words. You know, somebody apologized to me recently and shook my hand. I said, I'm sorry, I just haven't been able to make it to church. Here's what I said. I thought it was cute. Well, we had church without you anyway. I walked away and went, that might have been harsh. They might not have heard that that way. I was just funning. But inside the laughter was a sticker, was a poke. That's a harsh word. Now, you say, well, but I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Well, notice what happens. See, a harsh word stirs up anger. So let's turn it around. Let's say that you are the person who's getting angry. What might have happened to you? Somebody might have expressed their opinion to you in a harsh word. 
As a pastor of a charismatic Pentecostal church, occasionally people think the people who come to this church are Looney Tunes. I mean, crazy people come to Pentecostal churches, right? And, and so anyway, I find myself attempting to defend you crazy people. You know, because they haven't been here and they don't know you and you all are normal as the next guy. Kind of. Almost. But what happens is when my anger is, is, is riled up, what, what, what just happened? Well, somebody might have said a harsh word. They didn't realize it was a harsh word. Right? I, I've, I've, I've been in situations. And the worst is just when you overhear it. You know, you're walking through a situation, you're in the grocery store or whatever, and maybe we did have kind of an interesting service, and you hear over on the next row, did you hear what happened at New Life? <laughs> Let me just help you with that. Keep moving. <laughs> Keep going, okay? Don't, don't entertain it. Because if you're on the receiving end of being angry, and we use this verse, you might have received those harsh words. And, and see, the, the problem is you became your own defender. And that's not a great thing. Notice in verse number four, it says a wholesome tongue. A wholesome tongue. Well, possibly one of the best ways to translate this word for my purposes is a tongue of healing. A tongue of healing. A wholesome, a complete, a cured tongue. A healing tongue. What does it say it is? A tree of life. A tree of life. Isn't that interesting? You say, well, I don't know. How do, you, how do you tell if you have a wholesome tongue? Well, one of the ways is to kind of use the definition I just gave you. And do your words give the opportunity for healing to the person? Right? From a, from a counseling standpoint, you all probably understand that hurting people hurt people. People who have pain in their life oftentimes are willing to share it. And they will say those things. They're hurt. Well, a healing tongue, you say, not, doesn't do any good to point out, did you hear what you said? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't hurt to, it doesn't help to, to, to point out what was said. It helps to find those words of healing, right? You can really see it when your children get trained in this. When you're frustrated, I remember my, my first experience of this, uh, our oldest son was probably eight, maybe nine, and, and we, were, you know, we were impoverished in ministry. It was, it was really tough for us uh, initially to, to be in ministry. And, and I think it was J.R. who said, well, shouldn't we just pray and ask God? That's a healing word, right? You know? And so your kid comes home from school and somebody's been mean to them for whatever reason. What are we going to do? We're going to offer healing words. We're not going to... We probably shouldn't charge down to the school and make a scene. Teach your child how to stand up on the inside and forgive. Well, we, and don't say, well, they're such an idiot, just forgive them. See, that doesn't help either. <laughs> are, are you tracking with me? Can you see how leadership, how, how Solomon might have been teacher trying to teach this or record this for his children and his grandchildren? Thinking that that lineage or that, that reign was going to keep moving? Notice it says that, that a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it, in what? In the tongue. 
perverseness in the tongue breaks the spirit. The spirit is the life thing. It's the functional force. And so these perverse words break people's spirit. Let me, say, let me, let me help you with this. There's not a single person in here who ever had their own negative thought process. Nobody wants to argue with me about that? Your thought... Listen, no one would choose to have a negative thought process. Where does it come from? Remember, these words are largely spiritual in nature. And so these negative things come from a spirit world. You don't make them up. It's not you. It's a spirit world you live in. So when your child comes home from school and said, My teacher said I'm never going to amount to anything. That's a spiritual warfare indication. Kids don't think that way. They actually believe they can fly. I I have a grandson right now that that believes he's going to be a professional athlete. I said, do you have a plan B? (laughs) I hope you're a professional athlete because I see professional athletes being really generous to their grandparents. (laughs) I mean, cool, let's do that, you know. And right now, at his young age, he, he wants to drive a Lamborghini. And so I hope he hangs on to those things and I can still bend enough to get into the Lamborghini that he buys for his grandpa. Okay? I'm cool with that. But how many of you recognize that occasionally, if you don't offer some spiritually wise parts of this rather than spiritually negative parts, their, their little spirit man won't, won't develop how to hear and how to respond to that. You don't have, people don't have negative thoughts all by themselves. That's why Jesus, that's why Paul said that Jesus said, you should take every thought captive. Why do you want to take it captive? Because it's not yours. It's not yours. So when it says perverseness breaks the spirit, you need to understand these things in, those, in, 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 those, in that kind of connotation. Very important. Very important. How many of you know that if you were being trained to be the king, it would be really important for you not to be wrecked every time one of your subjects had something bad to say to you? How many of you recognize that if this is inspired by God, that God was trying to teach us, since there are times where we cuss Him out, where we don't have that... that that right relationship. How come you didn't do that, God? And don't raise your hand, but, you know, I can raise my hand to being angry at God occasionally. And I have scriptures for why he messed up. Right? I know some of you are all somber looking like, well, that's not me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. See, we get impatient. We find God's word and we hear that it says and we see that it says and then we get impatient. My most famous time of impatience in my own life was when God then showed Isaiah 5.19 to me, which says, Woe be unto him who says to God, hurry up. I was in a hurry. Patience doesn't naturally happen. It's a spiritual fruit based on your attachment to the vine. But it's in there. And the only way for you not to have patience, which I I really hate that I have to teach this because it just kind of beats me up, is when you refuse what God put in you called patience. 
Amen. Isn't that good? Verse number six. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. Now stop and process this with me. This doesn't say the house of the righteous is rich. It says there's much treasure. If you can't recognize the treasure, whose problem is it? God says in your house as a righteous person, your righteousness based on what Jesus has done by taking up residence in you has filled your house with treasure. The issue is we oftentimes don't recognize the treasure. So in our own little house, our own personal house, much treasure for righteous people. In our little groups that are house, family, there's much treasure. In our bigger groups, in the church, there's much treasure. In this church, there is not a need that is not spoken to by God through another person to you. That's how God does stuff. Well, I don't want people to know my stuff. Well, okay, maybe not, but if they knew your stuff, they might recognize that the revelation that they got from God kind of fits where you are, and in grace and mercy, they'll kind of stumble into your life and be part of the treasure. Remember, when a ton of dirt gets dumped out, we're not looking for the dirt. We're looking for the gold inside of that. My study of treasure seeking, I'm really not a treasure hunter, but I see people doing that all the time. And so I've, I've read and done a little bit of research there. And, and the average ounce of, of metal ore recovered from an area takes about a ton of dirt to get one ounce of what they're looking for. Ton of dirt. 2,000 pounds of dirt gets you an ounce of whatever you're looking for. Now, I don't want to run my whole life that way, but occasionally I run into the ton of dirt, right? Where somebody has an issue or whatever's going on, and, and you know, then all of a sudden, because all this stuff comes out of them, you have to work at finding the ounce of gold, right? How many of, have, how many of you have ever been criticized? Criticism can be a ton of dirt, except for the ounce of gold that's inside it that's actually true. So what do you do? Look for the gold, not the dirt. Notice what it says there. In the house of the righteous, much treble, much treasure. But look at, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. The revenue of the wicked is trouble. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse or scatter knowledge. But the heart of the fool does not do so. I don't know how much more clear you want that to be, but to disperse or to scatter knowledge. And this is not your opinion, right? Opinion lives in the no man's land between knowledge and ignorance. Okay? If you're ignorant of something, and forgive me for this, but you have a strong opinion about it, your opinion is likely based on the fact you don't know. So you just made something up. 
If you have knowledge of something, but you back up to opinion, it's probably because you think you know. Mark Twain said something like this. It's not not that people don't know enough. It's what they know just isn't so. (laughs) I love cutesy little things like that. Well, you know, it just isn't so. It's not true. Right? We're, we, we, we live in a country, in a land right now, that's full of things that aren't really true. I mean, crazy stuff. You don't have to have an opinion about it, because opinion, whether you're knowledgeable or ignorant, still puts you in that no-man land. What do you need? You really need wisdom. Wisdom applies the knowledge that God has given you and allows for you to function in a God-given specialty called wisdom. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. Now, that's coming from a recovering, opinionated person. And I don't know how recovered I am. Hello, my name is Glenn. I'm an opinionated fool. Right? I mean, I need a 12-step program to get out of these kinds of things. But that's what he says. It disperses knowledge. Skip down, if you would, please, to verse 13. Notice it says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. Sometimes we need to notify our face that we actually are happy. That Christianity is actually a good time. Right? Rather than, you can't believe. I've actually had people come up to me and say, you can't believe what God is doing to me. And they're kind of frustrated about it because God's picking on them. I've been in this position where God was picking on me. Because the things he was picking on, I've seen in some of you, and he's leaving you alone. (laughs) Come on. I I tried to put it on me rather than on you, but how many of you recognize that at times what God works on in you make you really able to see it in others? Yeah. And so then what happens? Your countenance isn't great. Mary Hart makes a cheerful countenance. But but the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. That's kind of sadness, that that kind of mourning, so to speak. And, And here's what I mean by that. Mourning in your heart happens often when you don't have a good, um, comfortable position. Things aren't going well for you, and so your heart is sad. You have all these questions like, well, I thought God promised. Didn't God say? Yes, he did. But remember, character, the mark left by meeting with God, is way more important than comfort. But what we want is comfort most of the time. And when we don't get that comfort, what happens? What do we share? How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you have ever been so disappointed you just wanted to share that disappointment with people? I mean, you called up your prayer, your prayer partner or whoever that, and you, you gave them the prayer list and all your litany of things, but nobody prayed. See, we passed on information, but nobody prayed. Probably not what God was asking us to do. Look at verse number 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord. Better is little. What's he trying to tell us? If we can get a lot without fear of the Lord, we actually won't need God. 
we'll do it ourselves. So it's better to get back to that place where you can trust God in the little so He can give you the lot. If you look at the places in the Bible where He says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's the people who handled stuff right. Small things, getting big things. People handled things right. Handled things right. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Now I know that many of us would be tempted to try this one out. Just give me great treasure for a little bit and let's see how that works. I mean, I'd like to. I, <laughs> I always love it when, when some athlete gets this gargantuan contract. And, and I got a couple of athletic people in my family and they have athletic children. So they're always reading that kind of stuff. And I learned that NBA players get paid every two weeks, just like a lot of the rest of you people do. Every two weeks. Well, one of them happens to make $54 million a year. $54 million. That's a million bucks a week. His paycheck every two weeks is $2.4 million. And what do I say? I can live on that. Then treasure with trouble. Treasure with trouble. And you say, what's their trouble? Well, the average pro athlete, although they make a lot of money for the short time they're in there, have a very limited lifespan. And a significant percentage of them graduate from professional athletics and they're broke. Because they didn't learn the character lesson. That's the trouble. They didn't learn the character lesson. Let's put it to to the people with a little bit. I've counseled with people who could not afford in their world to tithe. And if they got a lot, they'd promise to tithe. Well, I'm going to tithe. And now, first of all, do not tell your pastor that you're going to tithe because that doesn't move me at all. Okay? In fact, if you want to have that discussion, bring your checkbook, bring your purse, bring your wallet, and we'll have that conversation. Because we'll just start with what you have. Put it on the table. I'm going to take 10% of it. I'll hold it for you for a month to see if you can live without it. Because you just told me you can't afford to. So if you've got $400 in your checkbook or whatever, just, just write me a check for 40 bucks. I'll hold it for a month. I'll help you with your tithe. Because you see, you think that with more treasure, there doesn't come any trouble. If you can't handle five, it's highly likely that God isn't going to give you 50. If you can't handle 50, it's highly likely God ain't going to give you 500. And if you can't handle five, are you getting the math? <laughs> because each one of those is a tithe of the one above it. If you can't handle five, you will not tithe on the 50 because you can't handle the five. If you can't handle the 50, you will not tithe on the 500 because 50 is a tithe of 500 and you can't handle the 50. Are you with me? If you can't handle the 500, you will not tithe on the 5,000. Now we're getting into real living here. The average income in Yuma County is somewhere between thirty-five dollars and $50,000 a year per family. Tell me, how do you handle the 500? That's your question. Well, you know, if I just had some more. Nope. You can't handle the tithe of what you want. You can't handle the tithe of what God's given you. Are you tracking with me? That's the trouble. That's the trouble. Amen. 
Verse, did you all get that? I love these chapters because imagine a king and a king's son. I don't know how much money Solomon had, but a pretty good pile since David left him a whole bunch to build the gold temple with. Right? And tithing was an issue of the law. Can you imagine the tithe check? What if our government, our government takes in about $2 billion a day? Write the tithe check, goofy government, because the other part's coming with trouble. They say, well, there needs to be separation of church and state. No, the government needs a little church. Amen. You, you see that? You see the trouble that comes with that? Oh, I need a great treasure. It comes with trouble. Because you can't handle the little part. Amen. Look down with me, if you will, please. Verse number 19. Well, 18. Guys, I love 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife. He was slow to anger. Elias contention. Is friends with contention. 19. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. It's like suggesting that the sticker patch hurts your feet, but you won't go out and work in your lawn and dig up the sticker. You know, you can get rid of them stickers. The hedge of thorns. Notice what else it says. And the way of the upright is a highway. Man, it's, it's some sailing that goes on there. Skip down if you would. Verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. Can I caution you just a little bit? That if your life is largely void of joy, it's because the answers of your mouth are not producing it. Isn't that encouraging? A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. These two things go together really well. Do you know what due season is, right? When it's the right time to say the words. The right time is according to God, not according to you. Amen. Look with me, if you would, the next verse 24. The way of life winds upward. For the wise. <laughs> now this is, this is two-sided. This is walking with the Lord is uphill both directions. Right? The way of life winds upward for the wise. Now it takes you higher and higher, but it also continues to narrow the path. Notice what it says, that he may turn away from hell below. Isn't that interesting? I like that one. Notice in verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Being a little bit slower to answer might be something we could all work on. We don't have to have the answer. There is nothing wrong with saying, I'll check that out for you and get back to you. You don't have to have an answer. It's difficult to do. Men, listen to me. For most men, it's difficult to do because we're the guys who tighten the, the bolts, deal with the bailing wire, fix things with duct tape. We're ending up finishing or fixing something. It's natural to us. 
to contemplate how to fix things. In marriage counseling, I tell people all the time that men have a natural desire to fix things and women have a natural desire to walk through things. They love the process. In fact, I'm reasonably convinced that the fix is not nearly as important as it is to the process. Can we walk together and do this? Studies how to answer. The Bible tells us that we can walk in an understanding way with our spouse. It is possible. Mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Verse 30. I'll end here. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. The light. See, this is, this is New Testament Ephesians. That where he will enlighten the eyes of your understanding. Now, this is very similar to that. He says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. Remember the, the last part of, you know, in, in 10, 12, 20 verses ago, where the bones, the structure of what we're doing is undermined by anger and wrath in our life. Now he's saying, look at this. He says, listen, a good report makes the bones healthy. Now listen to me. When you're going through difficult things, occasionally it's extraordinarily difficult to get a good report. Everybody and their dog will give you a bad report. You may have to make your good report out of what the Bible says rather than what other people say to you. See, the good report, the good report of what? What if, what if man tells you something that's not so good. I mean, you go, you go into the, to the auto repair shop and, and, and he says, well, I got bad news for you. When that happens, I'd like to say, and I got good news for you. If it takes you two weeks to fix my car, I'm going to be hanging out with you. Won't you be blessed? I'll come share Jesus with you for two weeks. Well, that's a good report. God just gave you the opportunity. You say, well, that's not much of an opportunity. Whose money is paying to fix your transmission? Yours or God's? Well, it's mine. Sorry, he owns everything. Get that one through your little head, and that'll help you a whole bunch. Because you've got to come up with a good report. I am speaking from experience. I have had people tell me things that I don't want to hear. I'm not interested in the end result of their intelligence. You've got to come up with a good report. You say, well, I never thought of it that way. You should. Because if you're like the rest of the people on the planet, you will occasionally get a bad report. And you may have to figure out how to get a good report in your experience from God's Word. Amen? That's my favorite verse in chapter 15. Learning how to make a good report. See, what we want is people to say things we like. Nope. Sometimes we have to get a report that's good by what God shows us. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us, for showing us things through these verses. We are so grateful to you, Father, for what you show us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.